Hi Chris, how are you? Good afternoon Rod, yes, all is well and here we are for our pre-WWDC episode. We are, and is it episode 69 or episode 70? I'm confused, I think it's episode 70. It's episode 70, and actually I think it's come around really quick, we're halfway through the year. WWDC upon us, which is a lot of people say Apple's New Year, because it's when they set the direction for the next year and announce it publicly. So it's quite an exciting time to be in the Apple ecosystem, I think. It is. There's always a lot going on at this time of year if you're an enthusiast. And we should maybe start our warnings already this year. It's when all the new software updates come, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. And I'm going to say at the top of the show, don't install betas. I was going to say, don't install betas on what? Don't install betas on your primary device. If you've got a secondary device you don't mind it kicking around on, that's probably the right place to put them. But don't be like Chris and I. Don't install betas on your primary device. No, and if you are keen, I think at least wait for some of the public betas to come out because the first few betas are normally really ropey, normally hammer your battery, crash a little bit. But I always want to play with the new hotness, so um, that's just me. And I've lived on the betas all year, I think. So I will carry on and do it for the for the great good. But I love playing with this stuff, and I think I've just learned to put up with any quirky bugs and crashes, as I did all of last year with Stage Manager. But I only have one iPad and one iPhone, so... If I'm going to play with them, they're going on my primary devices. Fair enough. Anyway, here we are. Wake from Sleep, episode 70 for the 29th of May, 2023. And as we're hinting towards WWDC is around the corner. I've got three quick bits of follow-up, Chris, for us to talk about. I haven't listened to the Blur album. I have listened to one of the singles off the Blur album. And it's all right. They've, they've only released a single. Ah. I thought you'd say it's all right because I knew it was my kind of music based on other tracks i've recommended and i thought you were pretty much gonna go it's all right i didn't think it would be your bag but i really enjoyed it and my kids have actually quite enjoyed it and it was a good way of getting them into blue a little bit it's all right i made me it inspired me to go off and listen to some girlish stuff though which i think is far better in many ways than than modern blur not that there's been a lot of modern blur and the girlish last two girlish albums have just been terrific yeah, I've actually listened to one because it came out quite recently. I mean, Damien Albon must have been on it because they've just done a Blur album or they're in the process of doing or releasing it. And they've just done a Gorillaz album, I think literally like within the last two months, if memory serves. So, so I've enjoyed both of them and it's the joy of Apple Music, is it not? It is. So uh, yeah, that's a good thing and it's good to be able to click into it. So I'll keep an eye out for the rest of the album and hopefully you'll get me above a, it's all right, level on that. I mean, I'm worried that's my standard review of everything is it's all right. I think if it carries on as it is, I'll probably be pretty happy with it because I quite, I, like I said, I don't know why, it just clicked with me. Can't explain it. Fair enough. So a little bit of other follow-up. I had a, well, my car had an unfortunate incident in that it was clonked in a car park. So it's gone off to the menders. It's currently reporting to me on its GPS that it's sitting in Bristol unlocked in some garage somewhere waiting for parts to come from either China or California, I guess, to get the bits fixed. How long that will take for a Tesla, I don't know. So in its absence, I have been gifted gifted bmw 3 series it's a 320 with an m body kit it's got what i class as a boy racer grill on it where they've colored three of the bars on the grill at the front in the m series colors i hate it it looks disgusting this is like the best news i've heard all day this is fantastic you've got the m sport pack on it which is like the trim level and the m sport pack is like the, the top trim level it's unusual though i must say to get three bars of the grill colored from what i know i wouldn't know anyway it's uh, a 320D, 
it's got all of the stuff on the inside. It's got leather seats and various technology packs and things like that. So I don't know if you want a quick review of what I think of BMW cars or what I was going to talk about, which is wireless CarPlay. I, I think you should. I, I'm curious to know your view because I really like the BMW cabin, but I've got not a lot to compare it to because I haven't driven a lot of other cars. So I'd love your very whistle-stop tour, I guess. Okay, so I can compare it to the cars I drive regularly, which is a BM, which is a, a Mini Cooper which is a Tesla Model 3, and which is a Volkswagen T6 California, which is a, a rather nice van, it must be said. It's a few years old now, but that I drive three different cars. So I've got one with a manual gearbox, I've got two automatics, I've got one electric, I've got another diesel, I've got a petrol. You know, I'm not coming from a place where I'm completely ignorant of what's going on in cars. None of them are that well. The Tesla's up to date. The Mini's a 2019, and the van is a 2016. So the cabin is, it's okay. The seats are nice, i got to say. They're quite comfortable at leather seats. The driving experience itself, I find a bit eh. I thought BMW were meant to be the ultimate driving machine, and the handling is not as good as the Mini and not as loose as the Tesla. It's sort of somewhere in between. It's okay. There's too many buttons. Far, far, far too many buttons. In the center console around the sort of, there's like a jog dial knob thing. You can you can move things around, which the, which the Mini has as well, actually. But it's got like a forest of buttons all around it. And you can, sometimes you can get shortcut buttons to do things, or sometimes you turn the jog wheel, or sometimes you touch the screen. And I find that interface is a bit all over the place. There are some buttons I approve having back again. I got to say, like, a volume knob is quite nice. I'll give them that. So it's got a volume knob and this jog dial thing, which is, seems a bit crazy to me. Surely you could, you know, replicate that somewhere else. And it's got actual cooling and heating controls, which the Tesla doesn't have. But they're actually very small and very finicky. And I'll shut up and I'll let you comment at that point. Okay, so heating controls. You've probably got a slightly older BMW because on the newer ones, they've moved tw- to, the, to the screen. It's a 2020. Yeah, okay. So they've just brought out a newer edition 3 Series. Handling? Probably not surprised because it's the 320D. It's their run of the mill. They probably want you to upgrade various components or get the next model up like the 330D to get get the better handling. The jog dial that you talk about, that's the iDrive dial. I agree with you. There's lots of buttons around it, which I barely use, but I use the dial all the time. And I actually find myself in my wife's car on CarPlay reaching for the dial, which she doesn't have as she has a Skoda. And I'm like, where's the dial gone? Because I actually quite like the dial when I'm driving along and I just want to go down, you know, a list of tracks maybe and click on one. And I find it a lot easier than, than reaching for the screen. And obviously if you go over a bump and you miss as, you, as you're touching the screen. So I like that they've got the multiple inputs, but the buttons around the side, I would concur with you. I think a bit superfluous. What did you think of wireless CarPlay? Now that bit I do quite like. I don't like the fact there's what looks like a wireless charging pad for your phone that isn't wireless charging. So there's like a space that's big enough for my iPhone 13 Pro Max. It fits in it exactly, so I know it should be where it is. I've tried three different iPhones on it, none of them wireless charge. So why give you that space really there if it's not going to be a wireless charger? I'm assuming that car just hasn't got that option. So in my car, that is where the G charger is. I can charge it there. But if you charge your iPhone wirelessly and run CarPlay, you end up with a very hot iPhone. So anyway, I'm surprised to say that. But I do quite like wireless CarPlay. It was very easy to set up, unlike the Skoda I had rented on when I was doing business in Belfast a couple of weeks back. It actually just worked. I pressed and held the button on the dash. It did a connection thing. It asked to install some app on my phone, some Miracast app on my phone which I didn't actually understand. No, that is optional. I think the the vendor have got the option to go, do you want your users to install an app? And you don't need to bother. 
Right, I, I, I just cancelled all of the things and then it seemed to work, which was fine. But after that, it's wireless CarPlay. It's a nice big wide screen, which I've got to say is, is nice. It's wider than the screen we had on the previous Golf, which had CarPlay, wired CarPlay on it. But it seems to fit okay. There's maybe a little bit of wasted space around the edges because it is quite wide. And then it mirrors onto the driver's display in front of you, your next direction, which I quite liked. So I think I like wireless CarPlay more than the car. Yeah, I, I thought you might be saying that, to be fair. I mean, you, you're not in the BMW market. You've, you've made, made your view, I think, quite clear that you're not a fan. But wireless CarPlay is ace because you just get in the car. You push start and off you go. And all your music's there. Your maps are there. And I, th- I think, to be fair to BMW, they've implemented CarPlay really well. Next time you have a go on your widescreen, push the, you know, the, the icon to go back home where the app shrinks and watch the animation because... I find the animations aren't quite optimized for that aspect ratio screen, and it just niggles me every now and again. But no, I'm not not surprised that, that you enjoy it. Like I said, I think, I think wireless CarPlay is awesome. Actually, the weekend I was talking to, to my father-in-law. He's about to get a Skoda with CarPlay, and it's got no CD player in it. And he's like, "Oh, well, how do I play my CDs?" And I was trying to explain to him that you can have a, you've got my Apple Music because he's part of my family. You get all this music for free. You don't need CDs. And he was on about buying a Discman to put in the car to play through the stereo and I was like you shouldn't really be doing that because I'm not sure on the legalities of if you're skipping tracks on discmans and what have you when you're meant to be using the car buttons and everything and I said you've got CarPlay even even my father uses CarPlay like you get all your maps on it you don't need your TomTom anymore you don't need a discman you can get all the music you want just download it to your phone and so I've introduced him all to that world and I've done it before with Apple Music, but it just doesn't take. Same with Apple News Plus. I was explaining to him, you can have all these magazines on your iPad as part of our family, and it's just completely lost on him. So I'm hoping CarPlay will take, but I'm waiting for the phone call next week of, how do I use it again? <laughs> it is fairly straightforward, I think. I'm with you. So I'm a believer in that, and I'll, I'll try and finish the review of the BMW on a slightly more positive note. I had to fill it with this stuff made from dinosaurs called Diesel. And it claimed it would get 515 miles on a tank. And I thought, really? That's really impressive if that's the case. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. I used to have a diesel BMW 3 Series. It was fantastic. It's a miles machine. That's what that car is for. That is, you know, for somebody driving around the country that has that kind of role. So that's probably its its peak thing. And if they haven't got an efficient diesel engine by now, as they're on their way out, you'd be a bit worried. Well, yeah, and now I notice as I'm driving around that petrol and diesel are the same price in, in lots of petrol stations, and that's good. I got to say, I mean, for all the polluting that diesel does, and I'm not, I'm not going to endorse, you know, petrol engine or diesel engine cars, but it is quite good that the prices are coming down for those that have to drive them, and you know, if they're go- if you're going to have them, then they should be efficient. So, from that point of view, it's good. Yeah, I must confess, I filled up my wife's car yesterday, which I haven't done in a year, and I was like, oh. Diesel's a lot cheaper than I'd realised because I just haven't even looked when I've been in my electric car. Yeah, makes sense. So I think to endorse how much I've actually enjoyed wireless CarPlay, I've bought a gadget. It hasn't come yet. It's got to come from China. So I've bought a CarPuride, that well-known brand, W901. And this is a secondary screen that you can either glue to your dashboard or stick to the window that acts as a wireless CarPlay display. So I'm going to add this to my van so I've got CarPlay in the van when I'm when I'm out and about. So this, as I say, there's a couple of ways of mounting it. I wasn't that keen on these before because they only had a single Bluetooth input where you 
Bluetooth to your phone and then they have their own speakers and you'd have to take an aux input or something like that and feed it into your car. So I didn't want all the wiring nightmare kicking around in the car, but this one has dual Bluetooth and I'll be able to Bluetooth it to the stereo and then I'll be able to output directly to the stereo. So it's a little expensive. It's It was just over £200, including a discount. But actually, I think for the convenience of having wireless CarPlay and one less thing to fiddle with in the car, and it does give that a little bit more, the space for it on my van's dashboard, there's plenty of room to either stick it to the windscreen or to the dashboard in some way and i'm going to give it a go and see what it's like cool i was hoping you can go i'm going to buy a wireless adapter because you can also get those for cars that have got wired carplay and put wireless adapter in because i want to get one from my wife's skoda but i wanted to see somebody that's got one and go is it any good this actually looks quite neat and i saw they had a picture of like a truck on there and i thought actually probably for truckers this kind of thing could be quite cool because if you're not in the same truck all the time you could just take this with you put it in there and instantly you've got a stereo that you know how to use and it does everything that you like because that's what i do like about carplay you can hop in any car and you basically get the same experience yeah that's what i was thinking and if the van had had wired carplay i would have bought one of these wireless adapters i think for it but being as it doesn't and it's old and i didn't want to get into the you know we're always talking about family friendly options for things that one of the mounting options for this is through the... Remember those things we were just talking about called CDs? The van sold it, still got a CD player. That actually can mount into the CD player. It's sort of a bracket that goes in and expands up when it goes in with the CDs hold, and it will sit in front of your stereo. But it would obscure the radio buttons and the reversing, you know, the, the reversing sensor interface and all that kind of stuff. So actually, I think this is the best compromise of... I can have my wireless CarPlay if I want to play with it without obscuring the normal functions of the radio so we'll see how we go with that yeah and no, i do keep us posted i think that looks quite cool and i will keep looking for a wireless carplay receivery thing to put in our skoda yeah i feel like i saw a review of one just this morning actually so i should maybe have i've seen one somewhere but i haven't been brave enough to commit yet anyway should we move on to the news yes let's come with the news so it was the Microsoft Build conference this week, which I don't know if you've if you've had a chance to watch the video that The Verge have done, Microsoft Build event in five minutes. But I, it I was not. quite... Okay, so it's quite an interesting event, and all you really get from Microsoft is that AI is the future, Copilot is the future, we're building it in Windows. And what they talked about in this was Windows 11 getting Copilot, so their coding thing will be built in alongside, and it's just a chat GPT sort of implementation effectively. Microsoft 365... The Copilot there will now support plugins. Microsoft Edge will come with the 365 Copilot integration. Windows Terminal is getting an AI upgrade. And Bing now has a default ChatGPT experience. So basically, the whole build conference is ChatGPT, ChatGPT, Copilot, AI. And I don't know how happy that makes me, really. I'm, I'm mixed on it. So one, not surprised. Two, I actually quite like the Copilot branding. I think that's genius because it's basically saying... This AI isn't going to do your job, but it can help you. It's going to assist you. And I think I think that's actually very clever. Three, I'm amazed that all they've talked about is AI stuff. Like, are you not doing anything with Windows 11 that's interesting other than some AI to help me do do my daily job? Like, is there nothing amazing coming on, on that OS? Because we run a lot of Windows 11 at work. That's, that's all we use. We don't have Windows 10 anymore. And I kind of want to see a bit more from it. Like, what else is it going to do? And I think Windows 11 is really good. They've done some great stuff with it. Especially, I don't know if, how much you've used it, but you, where you drag your windows and, and you can auto-pin other windows and, and do the arrangement. Like, what, what's next on Windows? What's next on Office? I'm see, Other than Copilot, I'm not seeing any innovation. Like, I open up Office on my iPad. It looks like the Office on my iPad from two years ago. So I'm a bit disappointed, really, that, that there's nothing else, if that makes sense. I think the AI stuff is cool. And there's clearly some future in it, but what 
Is that all they're working on? Is that all the whole of Microsoft's working on? It does seem to be, doesn't it? At the whole build conference, normally you'd get, here's something new for Visual Studio, or here's something new for Word, like you'd say, or here's what we're planning to, some mid-season upgrade for Windows 11 to do this great new thing. But I understand why they're doubling down on, on the AI side of things, but it feels to me they might have their entire direction, you know, distraction going on over here by building this into everything, which may be the future. You know, who, who, who's, who's to say Microsoft is wrong in this? but you're betting the farm in some, way, some ways in this. Microsoft are kind of losing on the server space. Linux have owned that space now. Most of the web, web servers in the world run on Linux. In fact, Microsoft released a version of Linux just this week to run Kubernetes. Linux for Azure is a thing Microsoft themselves are releasing. So you, they need to be quite careful, I think, about where the direction goes with this. At the moment, it's let them steal a bit of a march on Google, as we've talked about on this podcast. But... To entirely bet such a big company on AI, AI, AI. If there's some sort of massive backlash here and they've fundamentally built Windows 11, Office, Azure, Teams, all the things that they're talking about building you know, these things into, they're going to have to spend a long time scrambling back from that you know, to, to dig it back out of the application if they're that deeply embedding it. So I think they want to be cautious. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But also you don't want them just to do AI. It's... Like your, your world is way bigger. So like you say, Visual Studio, we still need Visual Studio. We still want improvements. SQL Server, it still runs half the world probably on SQL databases. So yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah I'm, like I say, I'm a bit mixed on it. Yeah, well, it's worth keeping an eye on, isn't it? So moving on, and this was an article that I thought of you particularly when, when I saw the link to it. And it's apparently ditching your your phone case is the latest symbol of stealth wealth. And I will let you reply to this. This is an article from Time, so not the usual tech pro- uh, press that are producing these kind of things. And I'll just read out the four stages of wealth. No debt, no checking prices at restaurant, no checking prices at hotels, no phone case on iPhone. What do you think of this? I think I hit very few of those those debt levels. I have debt. I have a massive mortgage on my house. I do check the prices at restaurants. I definitely check them at a hotel. And I don't have a case on my iPhone, so I'm only doing the last one, which seems a bit backwards. Yeah, it is interesting though, isn't it? Because it's, and I get, it's a slightly flippant article, obviously. But there is something about that, that, you know, that, if you're happy enough that if you drop your phone, I can just replace it or get it fixed or something like that. You are kind of broadcasting a certain confidence in your ability to change things up should things go wrong. I think I'm broadcasting a confidence. I ain't dropping that phone. Yeah. I, I, again, I kind of get the argument. I, I spend too much money on sunglasses, not regularly. I buy good sunglasses, so I don't need to change them all the time and I won't leave them behind because if I've spent over 100 quid in a pair of sunglasses, I'm going to remember it. And it could be that kind of thing, but with the best will in the world, I have dropped my phone from time to time. I think we all have. I'm kind of with you on this. I like to buy one thing that's of good quality, look after it, keep it, not be flipping about losing it. So I don't think it's a sign of wealth. I just think it's personal preference and I want it to be less bulky in my pocket. Do the folks in succession use phone cases? Have you? I don't know if you've read the rest of the article, but no. They don't. And they are in a very different world to me. They have jets and flats and billions of dollars, and I do not have any of that. Yeah, and they all use Android phones, bizarrely. I know, it's mixed. Is it? Yep. Yeah, if you, look, really... if you look at the big picture of the article linked, the, the guy, the, the tech billionaire, he's got an iPhone. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, moving on. Back to Windows briefly. I just thought this was a funny story, really. That, that finally, the Windows XP activation algorithm has been cracked. So you can legitimately, legitimately, in, in scare quotes, enter Windows XP keys if you've still got a copy of Windows XP lying around. You shouldn't be running Windows XP, I hasten to add. 
But this is amazing that it's taken this long for it to actually be cracked. Yeah, I saw this and I nearly put it in and I thought, oh, maybe nobody really cares about this. But it is quite interesting that, that it's lasted so long. But you're right, nobody should be running Windows XP anymore. No, but just a thought. That, let's face it, there are probably quite a decent number of embedded devices running a variant of XP that are out there running factory systems and all sorts of things, which again, you shouldn't be doing. But this is just amazing that Windows XP is one of those OSs that may never die. Yeah, it's certainly got a very long tail, I think, on it because it was just so prevalent and at the time was the best version of Windows ever. Actually was really good. And then because then you ended up going to Windows Vista, which was one of the worst versions of Windows ever released. And then you had Windows 7, really good version of Windows. And then you had Windows 8, wasn't a very good version of Windows. And then you had 10, which I think resounding, thumbs up, was amazing. And then you had 11, which equally was amazing. So I maybe, well, maybe not amazing. I'm, I'm not really in the Windows sphere, but maybe not amazing, but, but wasn't wasn't deemed the worst version of Windows ever. So Microsoft's batting average has improved, I think is what I'm trying to say. But Windows XP, long tail, I think Windows 7 will have a very long tail. And I think Windows 10 increasingly will have quite a long tail because there's also a barrier to going to Windows 11 in that you need a certain generation of processor and some other technical pieces. Yeah, you're meant to have TPM, the trusted platform thing, and the BIOS as well to go to Windows 11. I think they may have switched it off, but you were meant to have it. I think Microsoft's release schedule is very like Star Trek movies. Every second one is good. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. Keep sticking with Microsoft, and I just, again, is a fascinating article to me. Microsoft have released an ARM-based version of Windows. The piece of hardware you can buy from Microsoft to run it on is called the Surface Pro X. And if you have a Surface Pro X, your cameras might not be working anymore because they haven't updated the security certificate for your cameras. That seems a massive faux pas, does it not? I mean, I don't know how many people bought this particular Microsoft Surface Pro X. Probably not very many because nobody on the in, in Windows land really trusts ARM to drive their things at the moment. They've done a half-hearted release. It, it's funny to me that it runs better in a, in a Mac virtual machine than it does on their own hardware, frankly. But this is bad. If you've, you're a believer, you've bought the, the, the particular tablet to get it working on, and then your camera stopped working, which is one of the few things it's good for, really. A bit of office and presumably your Teams conferencing, and you can't have your Teams conference on it. That's a disaster. They need to fix that quickly. Yeah, in this day and age, cameras are so important. If this was pre-pandemic, it might not be a big deal, but in this day and age, that's fundamental. But what? I mean, yeah. they've clearly taken their eye off the ball if they've allowed that to happen. So maybe they've reassigned engineers over onto AI-based stuff yeah. rather than the basics. Well, they should ask ChatGPT to set a reminder to renew their security certificate, surely. <laughs> there, well, there is that. But do you, need, do you need AI to do that? Moving on. We're going to talk about the headset in a little more detail later. I just thought this was an interesting story from Six Colors talking about if you have got an iMac-sized screen you can strap to your head, sports might look cool on that. And this is just... Apple may have a sports strategy that they're going to sell us on a WWDC in a couple of weeks to, to go with a headset. I would imagine they've got a lot of service strategies where they're going to want to lean into some of this. Yeah. But, you know, it could be quite cool. I'm sure you'd quite like to watch Formula One race on a cinema screen. Yes and no. I like to watch it. I'm a big fan, though, of watching things with other people. Like, even if I just have it on and my children come in and whilst not avid Formula 1 watches, they'll pass comment on what's going on like they did yesterday when Monaco was on. So I'm not sure how much I'm looking forward to a VR, AR, XR world where I'm siloed in my own world, if that makes sense. I prefer the, the more social piece. 
the communal experience. So oh, that's it's a, it's a positive and a negative. I quite like it. Would it be more interesting if the thing we've talked about before, where your main screen is having the main race, and then everywhere you turned your head, you had all the various drivers' cams and things like that, so you could just turn your head to look at it? Yeah, quite possibly. Like if you could have, you know, if your favourite driver is Max Verstappen, say, or Lewis Hamilton, you know, you look left and you've you've, you've you've got their view that could be kind of cool if you want to see what's going on which they now do on sky yeah i've I've, yeah maybe we'll pick up in the main show but i'm looking forward to see this the story that gets told fair enough apparently photo stream is going away very minor one and my father-in-law sent me an email going an email from apple going is this something i need to worry about and it's like no you don't need to worry about it we're all on all on photos now but i wonder whether he's got an old photo stream enabled or something so i was just going to go around the family devices make sure photo streams turned off because i don't, I don't think anybody's really using it anymore and i'm sure apple had turned it off at the right time i don't even remember what it is this was a thing where you could add a pre iCloud photo library that we all have today you could add photos to your photo stream and share it with people more like a feed of photos and they were lower quality and it was just an interesting way of having a feed i think it was quite cool at the time but i don't think anybody really uses it fair enough okay moving on we talked about two weeks ago i think the ipad was having versions of logic and final cut pro people have got those in their hands now and they've been reviewing them without going into too much detail it seems that ipad version of logic is good the ipad version of final cut pro is less good because the final cut pro version won't run trip if you start on your mac you can't put it on your ipad if you start on your ipad you can put it on your mac There is a hack around that for the way that it saves the package format that it can be done, but it's out of the box. Your average user is not going to know how to do that. iPad Logic can round trip, so you should be able to go from one to the other with a very important caveat. And as a podcaster, this is one that would affect me, where I edit my podcasts with a time basis because we're interested in it going well. We try to go no longer than 90 minutes generally, but you can't edit with a time-based editing stream for Final Cut, for Logic for the iPad. It has to be in the Beats format. So I wouldn't be able to extract the project I'd started on the Mac to the iPad to edit it. And I think that's a real serious problem. I think it is, but I wonder whether this is the compromise of shipping it and then it will it will go over time because we used to have it with iWork we've had it with other other things and I, I would imagine over time this will go away that, that's certainly my hope because it does feel like Apple is trying to get parity on everything you know like where they brought stocks out on every system and, and weather and I reckon they will get there but it will just take some time do we have weather on the iPad now? we do <laughs> how long did that take? no calculator but we have weather Yeah, well, my problem with this is the iPad Pro came out in what, 2018? The good iPad, no, iPad Pro came out in 2015. Okay, the good iPad came out. With the pencil and the 13-inch screen. So the first, and it was chunky, it was 2015, but the good iPad in 2018. So you're selling a Pro product without any Pro apps. So Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro are the Pro apps and Xcode is the dream that everybody else wants. It's taken them this long to do it. They've had the pandemic. They've had stupid noodly little apps like that note-taking app that we tried for a little bit. Why on earth would you not have some higher level of feature parity between the two things? Unless they're going to release their own podcast editing app. Fair enough. Maybe they're pulling back on features to do that. Because they really don't want you to edit podcasts in Logic anyway. It's a bit of a, a stramash to do it. There are probably better apps to edit podcasts in. But we do it. I do it because I've got the software. I, I, I don't like this sort of forced problem or... The richest company in the world can't afford to produce this a little bit more in a more timely way and release more finished versions of the apps. 
I will give them a little bit of mileage. We're about to have WWDC and the other shoe might be about to drop, but what else is coming here? But it feels a bit artificial to me. I agreed. They've had so long to do it. It's amazing that we've had to drop any features, but I guess it is what it is. I'm happy they've shipped it. It seems they've shipped a better version of this than they did Apple Music Classical, which was in the hopper for a long time as well. So they just don't seem to be very good at bringing new apps out. And I'm hoping once it's out, they will iterate on it. But equally, as we talked before, they're usually quite slow at iterating. We've had no updates to Apple Music Classical. It's been out a couple of months. Like, come on. Like like I say, if it was one indie developer on, on their own, we'd probably have more updates by now. So I do wish they'd... I wish they'd move away from the big corporate behemoth that they are trying to do these and, and actually shift back to more of a startup mentality for some of these apps. Yeah, and I can understand why they're maybe a bit hesitant to do so to put smaller developers out of business. There's Ferrite on the iPad, for example, which is an excellent audio podcasting editing app. I haven't tried it, but all the reviews I've seen of it are fantastic. Them coming in like the gorilla in the room to take over this kind of space could potentially be problematic, and maybe that's why they're being a bit careful about it. But that makes no sense to me because Apple have been the vendor of these Pro apps for a very long time. And I remember going back when they changed from the original Final Cut Pro to the Final Cut Pro 10 series. Lots of editors left, so you have to be slightly circumspect in this world. You don't want to make too many changes too quickly. But at the same time, you've now got loyal followings for these apps that have been accruing over the years. And then you make these sort of arbitrary sort of changes like this. You can imagine some editor who's got to get their music video sorted out wants to bang it on their iPad, jump on the plane and make those sort of final few cuts before they get there. Why are you holding them back in this way? Are you just assuming they're only going to have their Mac with them? They don't want to take their iPad. It's kind of, again, it's creating artificial divisions in the product lineup. Yeah, I'm surprised, but maybe they were just too big and this was the compromise to, to get it out and maybe it'll, maybe it'll come this year that, that they'll start knocking down the barriers. Like I said, they've done it before. I've got faith they do it again. Well, the th- I'm going to finish with the thought that Steve Trout and Smith discovered that the Final Cut Pro for the iPad version, which is something like 800 megs, 110 megs of it is a video at the start. Welcome to the iPad Pro version of this. And I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is just stupid. I'm sorry. That's that's bloat for the sake of bloat. Yeah. Moving on. We've been talking about the stupid British law that they're trying to get through Parliament at the moment where they want to allow the end-to-end encryption to be hacked or have a backdoor of something so government agencies can come in and see what's going on. There's been a leaked article from the EU to say that Spain wants to do exactly the same thing. So this is a, and if, if Spain do it, then the whole of the EU need to do it because that's the way EU law works. So it just seems like stupid laws can be proposed everywhere. Yeah, governments and tech. They're really struggling in this part of the world, aren't they? Like, all governments seem to be struggling to get their understanding of tech. Yeah, not very good. Anyway, just to show that our, our stupid laws go everywhere and we're both very much against it. Moving along, I thought this was just a funny little YouTube video explaining why your iPad, your iPhone keyboard sucks now. It's three minutes long. It's well worth a watch. I don't know if you've got a chance to do so before the podcast. Uh, no, I've not seen it. Go on. Why does my iPhone keyboard suck now? Basically... Part of it is to do with what we'd expect it to be, which is autocorrect sucks, because instead of looking to your own corrections that you do on your phone, they pull a file off the cloud effectively. So everybody's autocorrect changes are what percolates down to your phone. So rather than going, you know, we will, we we will or something like that, and there's that stupid apostrophizing thing that it does for that, rather than we're going to do a thing. We are is what I'm thinking of. We are. It will pull the cloud version off. So obviously most people want to do we, apostrophe R-E, as opposed to we're or were. 
you know, stuff like that drives me crazy with it. So you've got that fighting against it, that Apple have arbitrarily decided that what the crowd think is right is better than what I think is right on my device. Yeah, surely here that you want a cloud version if you've got nothing for that particular user. But if you've got something for that user, that should maybe have the, the user should have their own defaults. But if the user doesn't have a default, then pull the cloud version. No, they always overwrite it, whatever the cloud version is. And then the second part is the change in keyboard for when you're typing in Safari to when you're typing in text messages or something else like that. They actually move the full stop character, the dot character, off the keyboard when you type in text. So lots of people, which means the space bar changes in size. So I'm always typing full stops when I'm typing text to people because I rely on the space bar being that little bit wider than it actually is. And it's that by itself because it's such fine grain keyboard with all that, not a lot of space, can cause lots of errors to creep in as well. Ah, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I was wanting to pick up my iPhone and, and just have a look at it, but obviously it's my camera, so I can't. Yeah. Anyway, it's three minutes well spent as to why your keyboard sucks now, and he's not wrong. It does suck now. Okay, I'll take a look. Coming towards the end of our news stories here, and this is just a little story that I think has broader repercussions than you might originally think. So the story is that Meta, the company that owns Facebook, has been hit with a record-breaking $1.3 billion, billion fine over Facebook data transfers to the US. So this is a massive privacy problem for Meta. The crucial part of this story really is that they've been ordered to stop transferring Facebook data of EU citizens to the US. And think about the repercussions of that for a second. A, not surprised Meta have been fined because we all know that they're a bit loose with some of the law interpretation. B, that's a big number. That is a huge number. And C, so what we're saying here, we're saying the EU under GDPR say that data should remain within the EU. I think unless you're unless you're you're being very transparent about it and you're explaining to the, the user that we're going to, you know, take your data and we're going to have that data hosted in the, in the US. So, you know, I've been through this. We, we make sure that we host all our data in the UK for the company I work for, a UK only company. And we're very transparent about it. But this is, yeah, this is quite, quite, quite bad. And when did GDPR come out? It was 2015, 2016, something like that. I'm going to say seven, 17. Yeah. No, it was after. Because we went through it work and we did loads of work to make sure we were on the right side of it because you can end up with a fine that's like, 20% of global revenue, which obviously for a company like Meta is huge. Obviously, this probably isn't 20% of global revenue, but it's it's a big number. 2016. Okay. That's, yeah. wow. Yeah, I think the critical thing here is that Meta say, transferring data to the US is critical for Meta's vast ad targeting operation, which relies on processing multiple streams of personal data from its users. Last year, Meta said it would be forced to consider shutting down Facebook and Instagram if the EU wasn't able to send data back to the US. Sorry, what? Why would you have to <laughs> shut it down? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Because in order to do all the data farming that they do, they need all that data to go back to the US so it can be processed and your ads can be targeted appropriately and all the rest of it. Presumably they could do it in the EU, but they don't want to do it in the EU because they want to make all those linkages and you, they want all their data in one place. This also sounds a bit like Apple saying that if we have an alternative app store, the end of the world is nigh. It feels like Meta are trying to play the same sort of game. No, it just wouldn't work. Our business wouldn't be able to cope. There's some very smart people at Meta. For as much as as we take the mick out of them, you know, there are some incredibly clever people there that write these services, systems, apps, you know, all the stuff they're doing. 
they could easily architect this i'm fairly confident because even if you took the data and anonymized it and then use that to you know com- compile it all together they, there are options there i think they just you know need some investment that's probably the problem i don't know they like to do things the way they do them and let's face it they're evil <laughs> you know and i'm, I'm not going to get on my high horse all the tech companies are evil, and I include Apple in that. I like to think they're less evil than others, but they're just as evil in some way. So it's interesting that this is what's going on, and of course Meta are going to push back. But they've got five or six months to reply to this and do something about it, and we're in the middle of the US and the EU renegotiating what happens with data here and there. So it may not be the end of the world. In the meantime, they've got a big fine to pay, but it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, I think. But yeah, A, will they end up paying the whole fine? And B, what are they going to do to re-architect? Hmm. Yeah. So time will tell. Maybe it'll be like our Activision Blizzard story and one we keep reporting on. <laughs> yeah, true. It'll be evergreen. I feel no sympathy for Meta whatsoever, though. I think I don't like them as a company. I don't like what they do. And, you know, I think they should be fine for these kinds of egregious breaches of data. Yeah, and I wonder how long it's taken for this to come out because they're getting a fine now in 23. We just said the law, the GDPR laws came out in 2016. That's seven years I don't know. It seems like a long time. It has been interesting, though, because we have been th- we were talking about this at work, that we hadn't seen a lot of the truly large fines within GDPR. For We've seen some of the smaller companies have been sort of fined in some way, but this is the first time, well, one of the first times that the big fines are beginning to come out as part of GDPR. And this is presumably the tip of the iceberg for what else is going on in terms of these large data breaches. So, Yeah, and this is, like I say, a proper big fine. Yeah, it is. Any other news stories? Uh, no, I don't think so. It is scarily quiet at the moment i think like there's just little bits there's nothing i don't know nobody's announcing anything amazing we've had the chat gtp stuff at the start of the year and that's trickled on throughout but i don't know it all seems fairly quiet generally at the moment yeah we were talking last week that we were maybe the more of the rumors more of the releases were going to start happening and we've got a couple of weeks to go yet before wwdc but we'll talk about that in a minute anyway let's move on to media one week to go one week to go one week to go yeah media let's go so I continue to watch Silo and can enjoy it very much. Um, I read a little, so this is an Apple TV Plus show set in some point in the future where most of, well, as much of humanity as we've seen so far lives underground in a big silo. I was reading a little interview with the lead actress on there and she was saying that it, she'd only done films before really and how amazing it was to walk onto set with sets like this. She'd never seen anything like it, considering she stars in Dune, the current Dune films and all the rest of it. So she's been part of big productions and this is sort of really standing out to her as an amazing thing. Apple apparently made her an executive producer on that, sort of tempt her into part of it, and she's just enjoying seeing that side of the business, how nice it's been to work with. So, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoying It's a great, slightly grungy vibe to it as well. They've sort of got the tone quite well of that post-apocalyptic bit of optimism. Yeah, good, good show. Really very much continuing to enjoy. Yeah, and I'm getting the feeling I'm going to need to take up some new shows because Ted Lasso ends on Wednesday this week, which will be a shame. Succession is ending today, and I'm partway through the episode, so it's got me hooked, but I have no idea how it's going to end at the moment. So maybe Silo's next in the hopper for me, but it sounds good. Yeah, I am enjoying it. Did you see what the last episode of Ted Lasso is called? I did, but I can't think what it is now because I did have a look. It's something like "Thanks very much" and "Goodbye." It's it's all, it's in that vein. Yeah, it does feel like it's going to be ending. Like, yeah, but you never know. You know, never say never. No, I think my suspicion would be there'll be a spin-off at least. It'd be a shame if they didn't do something with it. But equally, you don't want them to do something with it and ruin it. 
So. No, I I have a slight criticism of Ted Lasso, and don't get me wrong, I am quite enjoying it. I think seasons two and three have not been as strong as the first season, and that's that's not controversial to say that the first season was so strong. My criticism is there are too many good characters who all need a bit of a character arc. And you've gone from being quite a tightly edited sort of 30, 35 minute show to being like a 60, 65, sometimes 70 minute show where they try and do all these great characters. And they are great characters. They're well scripted. They're well acted. They're interesting. They try and give them all a little bit of justice. And I think the whole thing suffers slightly because they're trying to serve all these ends. Like I say, don't get me wrong. I'm still enjoying it. I think it's a great show. But you can go from having a an incidental character like Trent Crim, the Independent, to being such a, an integral part of the team now. And I feel he's actually... he's he's. He is such an interesting character they could do so much with that he's being underserved, even though he's got a much bigger role, if you know what I mean. And that's sort of endemic to Ted Lasso. And I I, you, I could see them doing multiple spin-off shows, frankly, but I, I just worry about it sort of being a bit of a damp squib at the end. Yeah, I'm worried how they're going to land this one because, like you say, there's so much going on. I think it might have been about episode 10. They, they were doing lots of little storylines very quickly and it was a bit disappointing. It was like some of them could have done with a bit more room to breathe. I enjoyed the last episode actually immensely, but I think you're right. The first season was amazing. I really enjoyed the second season. I thought it was very good, and I think the third season has had moments, but hasn't lived up to the hype of the previous two. But it was always going to be a tough act to follow. Yeah, fair. I managed to watch a film in the last week. I've watched the Dungeons and Dragons film Honor Amongst Thieves, which is Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez in it, and I had very well, and Hugh Grant. I had very low expectations, and it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it with my youngest daughter. We both had a, we both had fun. I think it's fair to say. Oh, excellent! Well, that's what you need, isn't it? A film should be fun. Okay. Would you recommend? Should, should I go and watch this? I've played. I Dungeon, would recommend. I've played Dungeons Dragons once this year, and that's the only time I've ever played it as a board game. So, if if you're recommending it and you're smiling as we're talking, so it sounds like it was good. No, I did, but I don't know if it's because my expectations were low. But no, it was just one of those rare things where I don't know a lot about Dungeons and Dragons. I may have played it once when I was like a teenager, but I don't really know the lore other than playing the odd computer game where there has been a little bit of that your Skyrims and things like that. So I recognise some of the locations in it from computer game titles, but other than that, I don't know. Other than that, I know there's a thief and paladins and that kind of stuff. But you didn't need to know any of that. It's just a fun adventure thing, really. Okay. Now I'm a little bit interested because I did listen to the CEO of the company that owns the Dungeons and Dragons brand and Magic the Gathering. He was super interesting. He was saying actually quite a big bit of their business is, is you know, making these films. And I think that was on the cusp of this being released. So, okay, I'll try and get that one up the list. Give it a go. You got anything else for us? All I was going to say was we talked a little bit about Christopher Nolan and Oppenheimer. Um, I may or may not have gone on a Christopher Nolan bend and watched Tenant again. Tenant. 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 I, I struggle with that word. I love some of the characters, the scenes. And that story is just super confusing, but really good. And actually probably better second, third time around. Possibly need to watch it again to really get my head around it. It, it, it. He's operating on a different level. I think you should. And I should, I'll should. i recommend again the Cinema Wins commentator on YouTube to watch that. I'll put a link in the show notes if Chris reminds me. If you write something in the show notes, I'll put it in, Chris. About how carefully constructed that film is to the extent of even the title works both ways. That's why it is Tenet, as you can read it. It's a palindrome. You can read it both ways around. So if you watch it in the midpoint of the film, which is one of the time reversals, I'm not giving anything away by saying that, one of the time reversals, it is the midpoint of the film. And when it goes back to the start again, it kind of all makes sense within that. So I would say, watch the Cinema Wins guy, having freshly watched it, and it will. it's a shame you need to watch a thing to make the thing that you watched better, but it does actually work. 
yeah, and even the music works backwards and forwards. And I think, to be fair to Christopher Nolan, he's just operating on a different level with this film. Uh, you know, and, he, and it's all been so worthwhile, like you say, the title, the music, the story, everything's very clever. But it really works once you've watched it a couple of times, I think, because you spot more and you, you understand more. But yeah, really enjoyed it. And I also then went and watched Interstellar, which I actually quite like Interstellar. I feel a bit guilty saying it, but I love some of Interstellar, some of the shots on it. There's, I do quite like the story. A bit questionable towards the end. The science is above me, but fantastic. Just amazing and ensemble cast really well shot and directed love it so yeah i had a bit of a christmas and bent just because we were talking about oppenheimer i think it's fair and nolan has done some great films i really like inception inception is one of my favorite films actually and having watched the cinema wind guy and a couple things i've come around on tenet i was very down on tenet to begin with but uh, no i think it's a good film i think a lot of people were down on tenet first time out because it's it's just on a different level and i think it's only maybe you need to watch it again and watch one of these guides in essence and then you really understand it yeah it's t- it's time well spent it's it's quite nice to have a film that is a bit like an onion you can sort of unpeel it and enjoy it on on, on many levels so no i've thoroughly enjoyed it yep and david Was- david washington isn't it he's fantastic in it yeah which is denzel who is denzel washington's son yeah he was so good i really liked him and i want to see more of him please yeah, I think he's he's kind of there's there's a film that's flown under the radar. I can't even remember the name of the trailer for it now that I watched last week. That he's one of the main characters in, also a post-apocalyptic future thing that actually looked quite good. Sort of rise of AI, humans need to stay on top of it to stop killing people. Look good. It seems quite well timed. Very much so. Having just spoken through all the, the Microsoft stuff that we have. Okay. Good. Anything else in media? No, I don't think so. Should we go on to games? Let's go on to games. So I have a suspicion this is going to be on me this week because I can't even see a link to threes in here, Chris, but I can talk about a couple of things. So I've been playing a little game called Humanity, link in the show notes, which is lemmings for the, for the next generation, I think is probably the easiest way to describe it. It's a little puzzle game. You play a dog, which I quite like. That appeals to you know the, the, the dog lover within me, whose role it is is to shepherd a stream of humans from one entrance to an exit. There are occasionally things called goldies, which are big humans that appear on the map somewhere. There's a variety of ways of doing it. As you collect the goldies, you're given more powers as the dog, so you can make them jump or you can break things or send them off in another direction or something like that. And it is, if you played Lemmings, which is the classic Zygnosis game on the Amiga from way back when, where you could give one lemming an action to block and that would send the stream of lemmings back off in another direction. It's like that, but 3D with some sort of fairly devious puzzles in there as well. I've been thoroughly enjoying it and I thought I'd just give it a little recommend. No, fair enough. It looks quite interesting. I'm not sure it's my kind of game, but it looks good. I need to find more time to play games. I have no idea when I'm going to do that. I think it's just a matter of seven. I'm going to 20 minutes. I'm going to turn my brain off. I'm going to do something else for a while. It's it's kind of my it's my relax, relaxation. Some people go and meditate or go maybe go for a jog. I sit and play a computer game. So that's what does it for me. Yeah, I guess walking's mine. That's my put podcast on, go for a walk. That's what my go-to. Yeah, fair enough. The other thing I thought was interesting as Mac old Mac users is the company Bungie. Bungie were originally a primary Mac developer, best known for the Halo series. They developed that, which was meant to come to Mac first until Microsoft bought them. The original Xbox launched with Halo as a title, so you can see how that went. But before they were Xbox, bought by Microsoft, and they're now independent again, or certainly owned by Sony, perhaps, they released a game called Marathon. Marathon was notable for being the Mac shooter that was quite like Doom. 
back in the day, but had innovations such as you could look up and down and had a story, but had that sort of same sort of pixely look that Doom had. And that game, Marathon, was well-received on the Mac. Lots of old-time Mac users loved it, had good thoughts about it and all the rest of it, and then it kind of went away. Bungie have gone off and they've done Halo, obviously. They've released Destiny most recently, which is one of their better-known games, all, all, which is cross-platform, Windows, PC, Mac, not Mac, PlayStation and Xbox. But they announced at the, a, a developer meeting last week that they're rebooting the Marathon name, it's got very tenuous links to the marathon game from back in the day, but it looks terrific. It's what's called a looter shooter. So unlike the battle royale things, which are the circle closes on you and forces all the players together, looter shooters are you insert into a play area, you grab some stuff, and the idea is to extract again without being killed by other players or by the environmental stuff that's there. And it just looks terrific. It's worth a little look at the marathon pre-release stuff for what it's going to look like. It's got a really distinctive art style, I think. And yeah, it's worth a look. Yeah, it does look good. The graphics look fantastic. I never played Marathon, never had a Mac back then, but it looks really good. I like the art style. Some of it reminded me just a little bit of Splatoon, just because of the bright, vivid colours. I I think that's what was drawing me in, but really like it. And I do think Doom ruined me for my later gameplay, where I'm never that fussed about story. I just want to get straight into the action. I think that's Wolfenstein Doom's fault. Just send me to the level. I don't really get what the story is. I just want to want to play through it. And I think Doom, yeah, Quake. I love those games, but they, they probably broke me for later on in life when you get more story-based games. Fair enough. I think it's worth a look. Unfortunately, they're not bringing it to the Mac. That might be an oversight on their part. Yeah, that is a bit disappointing. Unless there's a big reveal next week with a headset, you never know. Well, I'm not holding my breath for it. I think this is what your PlayStation 5 is for. Running this at 120 frames per second could be a lot of fun. There's also new news. A lot of these games are actually free to play or pay to play in the sense that you know you can buy the season passes in the same way that call of duty do with the warzone titles who also have a looter shooter in the form of dmz mode this could be a potentially a free release or a season by season thing destiny 2 is is free to play but you've got to pay for the season passes to get the horse armor upgrades as we've discussed before so this could be a really interesting one for playstation and xbox owners yeah true i'm, I'm interested to see it when it when it comes out yeah so it's worth a look anything else in games you can tell us what you've been playing this week I actually did play a little bit of Switch on, on my, in the background. You can see my Pro Controller. I fired that up and I might have just played a bit of Quake. I don't know why. I think I heard somebody talk about Quake. I think it was on another podcast where they were talking about Marathon. And kind of like with the Crystal Melian thing, I was like, oh, I'm going to go and have a go at Quake. So I played a little bit of Quake on my Switch. And I played a lot of threes and I didn't beat my best score, so I'm a bit gutted. So as a Switch owner, you haven't picked up Breath of the Wild yet then? You mean the new one? That's what I mean. Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom. I haven't. I've never really into Breath of the Wild. I'm tempted to try, but it's £60. And so I don't know. I just, I don't know whether I've got the time for it. And I just worry I'll buy it and I won't won't play it. It'll be a waste of £60. Fair enough. Main show? Main show. Okay. So we thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about WWDC because next time we talk we'll, it will probably have happened depending on how our recording schedule works out. So it is scheduled for Monday June the 5th and just a little bit of background it is when Apple announced all the next year's worth of platform. You've heard us talk about this a lot so this isn't going to be shocking to anyone who's listening. Typically there is maybe something hardware related, not always, but it's primarily an event to inform developers about what the next year is going to look like for iOS Mac OS, iPad OS, TV OS, Watch OS, and I think that's all of them. 
sometimes it's home pods or airpods may may get a mention you know they, they announce some like noise cancelling and transparency enhancement so yeah every, every os basically you gets a mention or if it doesn't get a mention there's follow-up videos and statements made on the website hardware is rare like you say but potentially some hardware coming and then obviously this year the big one is this potential new platform which will be new because i don't think we've had a new platform at wwdc for a long time they've normally come out at separate events like the watch they had a separate event when they announced the phones they said right we're going to do a watch you'll come out in six months time but this is the pre-release of it and they need to do the pre-release of new platforms because filings will come out when they're trying to get approvals and so they try and do the announcement first and then there'll be a longer lead time for when you can actually buy it so uh, this one's looking to be quite interesting because i think os is, is going to be a proportion of it potentially some hardware and then as we said the, the headset so it's it's quite a big one and i don't think much is leaked like there's, there's a few rumors but nothing seems that concrete and it's quite exciting in a way because it'd be nice if it doesn't leak and we sit down for an hour and watch it or two hours and it would get some nice surprises yeah so june 5th tends to be about 6 p.m uk time which is 10 a.m pacific time or 1 p.m eastern for the, if we have got any american listeners typically certainly since the covid era we've had an hour's video hour and a half's video filled in maybe a little bit of live stuff but certainly no more than two hours is typically the way that it's gone they will zoom in on a particular aspect of that operating system and then they tend to try and tie it together at the end so they'll do a big tenpole thing like this is coming to ipad os the screen thing that i don't use what's it called stage, stage manager. manager stage manager is going to be the thing and oh actually that's on the mac as well they'll chuck in at the end so that's the way that they try and tell a story on a platform and then finish it off by going oh and it's also available on this part of the platform as they try and bring them together. So for example, a no-brainer this be, this time maybe we'll get widgets on the lock screen of the iPad or something like that. So they'll finish off a story, but actually the widget story started on the phone and we'll come to this and we'll come to that. So that's the way that it goes. It tends to be very highly produced. It's very glossy. It's very interesting. They invite some of the developers to Apple Park to, to do that, to see it live, but they watch the video live, which seems a bit odd. That's the way it's been. It looks like that's the way it's going to be this year. We'll have a State of the Union first at that time, and then immediately after, the, sorry, the keynote first, those times specific and Eastern time I talked about a minute ago, and then we'll get the State of the Union where they go into a lot more detail about the APIs and things that are coming. So big announcements that they want the general media and the public to watch for the two-hour show. They try to keep it to two hours, uh, and then the sort of more fine-grained stuff comes afterwards. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Yeah, the, the, the keynote is generally for most people could watch it and probably quite enjoy it. It's not too techy, is it? Whereas, like you say, the, the State of the Union is where they dig into a bit of detail, some of the, the technical bits that developers um, want to know about. So where should we start? Should we, should we briefly talk on iOS? I think let's talk about iOS. I mean, there's a very helpful 9 to 5 Mac document that's, uh, that I've linked to in the show notes that goes through the things that we're expecting. So we'll just let's just spend a minute thinking about these things. So for iOS 17... We talked about this last week. There's an all-new journaling app. Thoughts on this? I think I've got any, to be honest. I don't, I, I'm not the target audience for this. I'm interested to see it, but I wish Apple would put the energy into other things than cannibalize any third-party market space. How about you? Yeah, I think it's potentially interesting if they talk about the smart part of this, which is, oh, you and I have actually got together in person for the first time in however many years it's been, six or seven years since we've actually been in person together. It notices that because we're friends, we're on Find My together, it can create a smart album based on a couple of pictures we took, it knows we were together for that time, we went to see a football game or whatever it is that we're likely to have done, that. and it, it builds a smart journal entry based on that. That's quite clever. If it's that clever, I, I doubt Apple is doing a lot that clever at this point. 
it's not a feature I feel I need in my life. I don't need that sort of level of journaling. So I'm sure it's scratching somebody's itch, but I don't see it as being. It's not. You know, it's not going to make me buy an iPhone. That feature alone. No, agreed. And like I said, I just worry this is stealing from the third party space. Unless they've done something really good with it, but I worry this will be an app they launch, barely touch, and then just goes away again. That that's my concern. Yeah, totally. Potentially a new smart display mode. So this is just building on having always on screens and then having widgets. So maybe they build that out a little more dynamically so it can show things like dynamic forecasts or notifications or something like that on your always lock screen. Again, feels like a bit of a no-brainer. People have liked the always on screen. People have liked the widgets. Build on that. Yeah, and surely it will come to more phones in the full. You know, the, the pro phones will definitely have always on, but I don't know whether the regular ones will. So that the always on screens will become more prevalent over time. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe to the iPad as well, but we'll come to that in a minute. New health app features. I think health always needs a bit of an upgrade. I find it quite difficult to find some of the bits within it when I'm looking. It's a bit clunky. As a developer, I find it quite hard to interact with. For example, if I want to start extracting steps and things like that, I think there's an API story they could do and they'd health kit and they'd research kit are based on some of the features within the health app. I think they could do a lot to surface that as a developer more than a user. But I think the app itself, when you when a, an app of the week I've talked about before is Gentler Streak. It does really interesting things with the health app. We've continually talked about closing our rings and all the rest of it. So I think there is work to be done within the health app to improve it. Yeah, agreed. Every time I, I don't use it a huge amount, but every time I do, it's I don't know. It's 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 like wading through treacle. It just seems hard to find what you want. It's not that intuitive, sadly. So yeah, this could be good. Yep, and something like you know VO2 max. They say it's, your VO2 max has got worse or got better in this last week. What does that mean? Your average user hasn't got a clue. That's not helpful. If you're going to build in these kinds of health recording functions, make it useful. Don't call it VO2 max. Call it your cardiac reserve or something like that instead. That would actually be more meaningful to people. Yeah, and yeah, give me a descriptor. Like I said, I would not know what any of this means. Yep. Sideloading in third-party app stores. My response to this is yes, please, but make it hard. For the European Union. Yeah. So wow. That's the, an important distinction. Yeah, it is, because this is potentially not global. This is, you know, a localized change. So I think they should do this, like the Mac, but like you say, maybe you've got to jump through a few hoops to turn it on because you really want it. I think this is a good start. They've, they've got to start doing things in this space. They do. And with all the legislation and things they're facing, they just have to. We would be disappointed if it was excluded to us in the UK and excluded to Americans. They should have these options to, for these things too. It should just be global at this point. Like I th- I'd rather them have more global than, than localised. I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, with you. Upgrades to the wallet, wallet app. The wallet app's fine for things like paying for stuff. It works really well. For things like boarding passes for airplanes and things like that, it's okay. It's not very smart about when it presents it and when it dismisses them and when it takes it out. So I think there are definite improvements to the wallet app that could be done. Agreed. I think as we put more and more in it, obviously Apple announced orders last year and things. It probably just needs a bit of rethinking of actually how does it become more of a management app. It's fine when you're just quickly paying, but the managing of passes and, and cards could be better, I think, now the, yeah. now the world's got used to it. Absolutely. If you're looking for your Nectar app or your Greg's app or something like that within that, it's just another card buried within many at some point. So I think the management of it could be better. And then as you add things like ID and driving licenses down the line to a little bit, it's got to, now would be the time to get on top of it. Yeah, agreed. I would love to put my driving license in my phone. Yep. Airplay and SharePlay. Apple has been been working on improvements to SharePlay. Do you use SharePlay much? I barely use AirPlay, to be honest with you. So AirPlay, for those that don't know, is where you can broadcast either audio or video to 
speakers or a TV. A lot of TVs have it built in. And share play, that's the one where you and I could play a game or watch a TV show together, I think, and have a shared experience. Yep, that's it. I've never used it. Now, I've got no interest in watching a film and texting somebody while I'm watching the film or... I don't know, I just want to sit down and watch it. I'd rather come and talk to you afterwards about it rather than during. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's something that families do if dad's away or mum's away. or I don't know. I don't know who's using this. Well, I don't know. I thought I might use this with my daughter in university. She's a Ted Lasso fan. I thought we'd sit as a family. You know, we could watch it on our side. She'd be there. We'd be, but no. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Schedules meeting up. So uh, I, I, I don't it, know. It's a technology for the pandemic to be that where, where you did have distributed families or, or, or family members in other parts of the world you could try and do something vaguely social but i think zoom or teams or whatever if you wanted that you could both be on the call at the same time anyway you don't need to i understand that i need a pee i'm going to pause this and it pauses for the person on the other side as well but it's not that big a deal is it so i, I just feels like an empty feature and as for airplay most people are just happy bluetoothing to a speaker or something like that or I, I don't think that many people broadcast to TVs for what's on their iPad or their phone. They connect to the streaming service and they do it that way. So I'm glad that it's there. It is useful genuinely for those use cases when it works, that it works quite well. But I don't think it's that big a deal. Maybe this is why they need an update to actually make it more compelling. Yeah, agreed. Maybe they're, maybe they're doing something more fundamental. Interesting, gets quite a big mention. So maybe there is some improvements coming. Maybe they're changing nothing but making it a lot more reliable and easy to do. Yeah, and... As may not be surprising, what is rumoured for each platform gets smaller as you go through this because the iPhone's the most important platform. Yeah, of course. Well, it is it's where they sell what, 50% of their businesses we covered on the last quarterly earnings call. It yeah. is the iPhone. So for iPad OS 17, as the iPad user between us... Well, no, I was going to say just before we move on, is there anything that you, you're expecting to see in the iPhone list that you haven't seen? I would like to see, as we've talked about before, a bit of a system redesign, just an overall refresh and nip and tuck about what's on there, because it, it feels a bit inconsistent in places now. For all people knock iPhone OS 7 for its dramatic changes to the buttons and things like that, it brought with it a visual language that has that tightened things up massively. Apps started to feel a lot more consistent. And I feel with Swift UI, they had that ability to do that again, to bring the consistency back to the platform that you know, the really weird user interfaces or the inconsistent behavior in system settings and where is the setting for this? Is it in the app or is it here? How do notifications work? They need to tighten all that up. So I would like to see a little bit of a visual refresh, a bit more structure to the design language that comes out. So apps start to use that a little bit more. And I'd like to see notifications working a little better than they do. I, I haven't liked this version in, in, in 16 of the notifications appearing from the bottom and grouping things. And when it does that, when I wake up in the morning for here's what you missed while you were asleep, it feels very inconsistent to me if it's going to display that or not. So what I want is a bit of consistency. I can understand that. And it has been 10 years since iOS 7. And most of what was in that is still there today. You know, a lot of those foundations were led. It's getting so big that I think it's just harder for them to do all of that. But it's something you'd like to see them chipping away at over time. Like our goal is to tighten up the OS over the next three years. These are the 10 things we're doing this year. There's 10 things next year. And it, it will slowly get to that, that destination. I Yeah, I'd be interested to see that because it has got so big and bloaty. I'd like to see performance improvements as well and reliability. I think there are a couple of things I'd like to see in there. But as they keep adding more and more, I think it's harder to get to that goal. Mm. What about you then? Any big tentpole things you want to see? 
Oh, my iPhone. No, I don't think so. I mean, I use mine a huge amount because I use my iPad so much. I think I touched on this before because I do so much on my iPad. I actually do more work on my phone now. And largely, I'm quite comfortable with what I can do on it. So so I feel, yeah, I think I'm in a good place with it. I'm always looking for more things on the camera because I, I do like to take a lot of amateur photography and my iPhone is always with me. So that's one thing I'd like to see. I'm probably more about the watch this year. I want to be able to get to more of a position where I can go out without my phone. That's what I want more of that. I think for me, well, the thing Google are doing with their camera software is interesting. You know, if there's somebody who photobombs you in the background and you can just tap on them and they remove them, that kind of stuff Apple should be doing with their camera software as well. They should bring a, bringing a bit more innovation. I don't care about the amount of fuzz on somebody's jumper, but actually, if that if that photograph that somebody's in that or there's an object in that, I don't want to be part of it. Use your machine learning chops on that kind of stuff like Google do. That's the kind of thing they should be doing. So there are software improvements like that I'd like to see. Yeah, I'd be amazed if we don't get that because obviously last year they did the thing where you could grab somebody or an object out of a photo and you could then paste that into a chat or whatever. I'd be amazed if you you couldn't do kind of the inverse of that, grab an object and just remove it from the photo. You know, they've obviously, as you say, got, got some of the chops to do it. it. I wonder whether that's stage two of that. So I'd be surprised if we didn't see that. Do you ever use it? Very rarely. I forget that it's there most of the time. But it's one of those things that most people don't know it's there because there's no interface for it. There's no button and you just grab something and it's like, oh, right, I forgot I can pick that, pick that up. So maybe there's something there about improving their interfaces for the disclosability of these kinds of things as well. Because that would have been the kind of feature that, oh, do you remember Force Touch would have been perfect for, actually. Whereas now I, you don't, activating it can be hit or miss. Yeah, that is true. That is, that is true. It is hit or miss. Yeah. Should we go on to iPadOS then? Let's do it. So I'm going to leave this one to you to, to discuss, actually, because you're the iPad user. So I think my wish list is similar to last year. And I want my iPad to do a bunch of things my Mac can do. So I'd like to be able to bring my iPad here and be in clamshell mode. And this is rumoured to be a thing. I want to be able to choose which camera I can use. So I don't need to use my iPad camera. I could use the one on my monitor or use my phone. And I, I just want to see all of that, really. Can I just do the things that my Mac does because I just want to be able to come to my office, put my iPad away, not just be looking at that screen, but have the nice camera in front of my main big screen. And for me, stage manager, I want stage manager to allow more than four apps. I love all the multitasking, but I just want one stage, basically. I don't want 10 stages. Just can I have one stage with all my apps on? You've you've got the chops for it. You're clever enough. And I'm hoping there's going to be a version two. I'm skeptical because... Apple aren't great at doing version twos the following year and equally the lock screen widgets. But I think most of what I'm looking at is rumoured to be happening this year. So, And obviously we'll get all the things the iPhone gets, even though they called it iPadOS. They could have just left it as iOS because it's never really deviated that far from iOS. I think it would have been better to leave it as, as iOS, frankly, because the integration between them is so close. And other than things like Stage Manager, which would be obvious anyway, you could see the difference. You don't need Stage Manager on a phone with the size of they are at the moment. Maybe when we get our foldables, that will change if we get our foldables. But I, I'm with you. I think they need to finish the things they started last year, particularly with Stage Manager. You know, it is a computer. For all you'd like to say, what's a computer from that advert from, from a few years ago? The power, particularly in the Pro iPads, is immense. We see that from what we've got on our Macs. You really need to start, I'll use it again for the second time in one episode, doubling down on making the most of the amazing hardware, particularly if they're going to increase the prices, as we've talked about before, for the for the models coming down the road. 
They are, yeah. If they increase the prices again, I'll be upset. That's what I'm going to say. I think because they, they they're starting to get uncomfortable with the M2 ones. But I think most of what I'm looking for is just some of the things the Mac already does, tighten up what you've already got, and that's what's rumored to be happening. So I'm feeling quite comfortable. iPadOS will get the things I'm looking forward to. Well, hopefully we get the one sort of whimsical thing, like the again. I obviously I never I struggle with the names of these things. They're obviously not well named. Dynamic Island, I remember, but the the technology to move the cursor from your Mac to your iPad and back again and co- copy and paste. Universal Control. Yes, Universal Control. Stuff like that, we didn't think we wanted till we saw it, and to be honest, I don't use it very much. But the point is, I think it's a great feature that you know that should be there as part of the kind of ecosystem that Apple are offering. So I'd like to see something in that line, really. They bring something that we didn't know we needed that actually just works very, very well. Not badly like Stage Manager, but just works and sort of promotes the benefit of having more than one of these devices, having your Mac and your iPad and your phone and how well they work together. More of that, please. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So I, I think the iPad, I think we're on for it this year. I think it'll be good. It will hopefully finish off last year. So big tick for me if that's the case. One last thought on this from me. I would like them just to continue the momentum from last year because often what happens is you get iPad one year, nothing the next year. iPad one year, nothing the next year. Keep that going. You did iPad last year. Just show that commitment that you've been talking about. Show a stage manager 1.5. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. two, but just show as you're continuing to sort of iterate on that. Yeah, don't just give every other year the iPad what the iPhone got the previous year. Keep keep the momentum going. I would agree with that. Be, be consistent. Yeah, very much. Right, what about the Mac then? Mac OS. So for me, the danger of, of being slightly contradictory for what I've talked about before, they... There's lots of things they need to improve. Lots of little things. It's like kind of death by a thousand cuts. System settings is a mess. It needs sorting out. We, we said this last year, and they need to get they need to finish off what they started with this interface and make it work for me. The other thing I'd like to see are they're beginning to fall behind the curve with some of the baked in apps. So a couple of my recommendations on this podcast for App of the Week have been things like window managers, so I can snap things to the edges. Improvements to Spotlight. I've used Raycast or Alfred because it gives me that sort of plug-in architecture because Spotlight isn't good enough. All Spotlight really is, for me, was finding things in the computer. And both of these things use Spotlight to do that. So the fact that I can use Alfred to get GIFs or you know search Google or search Bing or something else instead of the default behavior that's baked into Spotlight isn't good enough. So they need to rethink some of these sort of fundamental metaphors that you use the system with. That's what I want to see. I want to see better ways of managing all the icons and things that pop up in the taskbar up by the clock. I have to install third-party things like Bartender. I don't want Bartender to get Sherlocked, but at the same time, I don't think they're doing a good enough job of managing the clutter that they create. And the window managers and things like that are are an example of that. So let's have the next generation of either APIs to improve these things or Apple get on and make it better. Why do we have to install all these third-party things to do basic things like window management when they're just baked into it? As you said before, Windows 11 has done a great job of tiling window managers or snapping things to the side of the screen. And they've had that for years. I think it was there in Windows 10, but they've just improved it with Windows 11. Bring that to the Mac. Bring it to the iPad. I think I agree with everything you say. And what you're saying, like with system settings, I think it's disappointing that we haven't seen anything happen in year like some of this thing they could have just slowly iterated on it with every big point release we've had rather than saving it all up let's just you know you've introduced something new it it changed a lot last year and it got a lot better system settings but they could have done a lot more with it 
why can't we have that throughout the year? Why does it have to wait till the end of the year? Because a lot of the point releases don't bring that much, but they could do, and then they could soften the major shifts that they then get in the next big versions, if that makes sense. Because I think people would be happy with that. Yeah, I agree. So that's what I want, more and better. What about WatchOS then? This one, I don't think any of us know anything about it, but it's going to be different. And bring that, please can we have that. Whatever WatchOS is, like an updated one that really takes advantage of the bigger displays, because the displays are all bigger now. The smallest one has fallen off with the Series 3 going. So can we can we redo the watch interface? I think it's time. It's 10 years of the watch. We had it, I think, around WatchOS 2 or so when they really settled into where we are today. But I'm curious to see where we go. Maybe we don't need so many apps, but we get more widgets, which is what's widely talked about. So yeah. I'm on board with that. I like the fact that, well, Mark Gurman, who's the rumor, rumor maker-in-chief, rumor finder-in-chief, has said this will be a fairly extensive upgrade focused on notable changes to the user interface. I'm okay with that. Yeah, because it's been so stagnant. Like last year, maybe this is why last year they just did more incremental to the watch and maybe the big stuff's coming this year and where they've got the ultra maybe that will play into that and if there's obviously another ultra watch coming so i'm quite excited by it and yeah i want to get to the position where i can go out with just my watch and be confident i can do everything because i should be leaving my phone behind a little bit more when i just want to listen to a podcast you know look at glance at email or be aware of my notifications but i don't need my phone that's what i'd like yeah if you've got a phone network that supports an eSIM, then that must be nice which I have and I do pay for, but it's more of an insurance policy at this moment. I'd still like to see something more interesting on watch faces and making it smarter. I think the Siri screen on, on your watch is, was a start, but again, they did that and then they've never iterated on it since. So all these abandoned features that seem like a good idea that they never go anywhere with, and this is turning into a Winja Apple thing, that follow-through is becoming a problem on all of the platforms, isn't it? That you start doing widgets, you don't let them be particularly interactive. You start doing a lock screen, you don't bring it to the iPad. You start doing system settings, you don't finish it off. You, you release an interesting watch face or maybe give us the ability to have our own watch faces. Just a thought, Apple, let's go wild. You know, that these things need finishing and they don't. They just leave them and then they wither on the vine. Agreed. Agreed. But I'm, I'm excited by the watch and... I will probably install the beta and regret it, but I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with it. Yeah, fair enough. TVOS, not expecting anything. I'm kind of with you here. TV, TVOS, HomePod OS, I'm just hoping they can make the HomePod more reliable. If they just go, we've done no new features, but the HomePod will be 10 times more reliable. Tick. That will get. That will be the round of applause for the day for the best feature. Fair enough. Hardware, we can move on. That's the software. And again, I just, I'm just going to underline this by saying, I am quite excited about all this stuff. I always quite like seeing the new software. I want to see what comes. For all the criticism I give them, for all the things I want to see, generally what they release, I'm quite excited about a feature of it, enough to make me stupidly go and install a beta on my main device. I suspect that will happen again this year. So I am genuinely excited to see what, what, they've, what they've got in mind. And I just hope, for all our complaints, some of that is serviced. I completely agree. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I always like to play with the new stuff I've always have done. So yeah, it's been good. Yep, Good. Easy bit of hardware to talk about. It's almost a cert, it seems, that we're going to get a 15-inch MacBook Air. It's a bit of a funny place to announce it. Uh, if you think of that two-hour keynote that they're going to do, they're not going to spend very long if they have got a 15-inch MacBook Air to talk about that. It's going to be like 10 minutes. It's great. It's like that, but bigger, I guess. I would be amazed if they spent 10 minutes on it. I'm surprised this hasn't dropped already and they've just done press release. You can now get the Air in a 15-inch variant. And I like this. 13, 15 for the Air. 14, 16 for the Pro. Nice differentiation. How's this not dropped yet? 
the, 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 let's face it, that 13-inch M2 MacBook Air is a great computer. It's kind of a no-brainer. They used to always used to have two different screen sizes for the MacBook Air. It's no big deal. Bring a bigger one back. Done. I completely agree. And if you recommend a laptop to anybody, it's basically buy an Air because for 90% of people, it's pretty damn good computer. Yeah. And then the last thing, and we don't need to go into this in a massive amount of detail because it's pretty much all we've talked about, you know, for the last since the rumors seem to come that it's gonna it's going to be a product. So this is Apple's headset. It's called the Apple Reality Pro. We're thinking about, and the OS it is run is called XROS. What, what else can we say about this product? Both those names are awful. Let's start with that. But I don't know because I don't think we know any more. Apple have really got on top of the secrets game this year. I think there's so little that's leaked. Now sometimes we get stuff on the run up because obviously more and more people find out closer to the event. But I quite like that we know literally nothing about. It. We've no idea what the OS is going to look like. No idea what the killer app is going to be assuming there are some what the hardware is going to look like i think it's really exciting so yeah it's quite nice going in blind we know something and it feels like it is coming because they haven't put any rumors out to say it's not happening whereas normally they would do that if something wasn't going to happen to set expectation so it feels like this is going to happen and we know literally nothing really about it nothing concrete yeah the rumors are saying it's going to have High quality OLED screens in it, which is good. Sony's VR headset also has OLED screens, if my memory serves me properly. And that's been well received from a hardware point of view. They're also saying it's going to cost $3,000 in its first iteration. There's a cheaper one coming, but it's going to be $3,000. That is an awful lot of money to buy in. At the same time, this is Apple. They know their users will extend to that. They do need Y, though. And that's the only thing that's missing for me on this. I can see... I've bought expensive Apple things before. Mac Pros, watches, iPads, laptops. Back in the day in university, I even found a way to find it, you know, to, to, to buy a, it. wasn't a MacBook Pro at that point. It was a PowerBook. PowerBook. PowerBook G4. It was far too much money at the time, but I found a way because it was the thing I had to have. So I'm not saying, I, I think $3,000 is far too much money. Don't get me wrong. I, and I, you'd have to have the most amazing sales pitch in the world to get me to spend £3,000. Because let's face it, it would be £3,000 on something like this because I that I see no use case for it in my life. You, even our little chat about Formula 1 earlier, I think you were struggling to find a use case for something like this. So the pitch for this is going to have to be amazing. Yeah, we need to know what the killer features are because it's a version 1 product. Apple have got a mixed pattern average with version 1s. Like the, the, the watch was very iffy. The iPad was pretty good but very quickly got replaced with the iPad 2 which was far superior. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they pitch it, what the actual market for this is and why do I want it? That's the bit I haven't got my head around is why do I want this? And I'm, I'm probably struggling with that because I nearly bought the PlayStation variant but I didn't at the last minute. So I'm super curious to see where they go with all of this. I think it's going to be quite exciting and I'm hoping this takes up the lion's share of it. Or is this just more of a teaser at the moment and then there'll be a dedicated event near the launch day? I don't know. Yeah, interesting stuff. Good. I think that can do us for a little chat about WWDC and let's maybe we'll record a bit later next week and we'll see what, what's been dropped. Yeah, let's work out next week once, once the announcements happen and then we, we can circle back to it all. Yeah, it gives us time to actually think about it rather than just give a reaction, which is what we did last week. So, yeah, moving on. App of the week, I've got two. You're getting a bonus one this week. So the first one, because neither of them are proper apps, really. The first one was based on a tweet from Craig Hockenberry, who's one of the designers at the Icon Factory. He, like me, was infuriated by the stupid little previews of some things that you get on, on, on macOS. So 
Often, if you get a movie file, for example, you'll get a little play button on it, and it'll start playing the movie in a stupid little icon at the bottom, which is pointless to anyone. You can't see what's going on. Or another example is a PDF, where you can page through the PDFs on, on your desktop. Why would you want that? You can't read anything. They take up space, and you often hit the arrows when you, what you're trying to do is select it and then make it, do a quick view on it and, and make it larger. So this is a terminal command that disables the stupid previews. Win. That's it. That's all it does. Okay. Well, I I understand it. I did get the little play thing a while ago, and I was like, what is the point of this? It's completely pointless. So that's it. I've disabled all that on this Mac. I'm delighted. It's made my life a lot better. I stop hitting play buttons and, and move forward things when all I want to do is select it. So good, good, great. The second one is probably fairly niche, and it's one for me, which is where you plug into a non-Apple display with your Apple laptop and then things stop working. So you won't have this issue. But for me, if I plug into the Dell screens at work or the Philips I've got at home, I immediately lose control of volume and I lose control of screen brightness on non-Apple displays. So my keyboard shortcuts either on the Mac or an external keyboard stop working. This little app called Monitor Control gives you that back. It's open source. You can download it from GitHub. It's a DMG. It works beautifully i'm so impressed with what it gives me so now i've got volume control back on my mac as opposed to having to reach under my desk for my little amplifier thing for my speakers that are plugged in convoluted way through my screen brilliant now i can see the appeal of that because there is nothing more annoying but i only use my studio display so yeah not an issue for me i guess it's it's a thing though have you got a thing of the week i have and i was away for a few days and i wanted to make to cheer me up in the car and I realised I had already purchased on Audible the Blackadder audiobook which is just the Blackadder TV shows necessarily in audio format and generally just quite enjoyed it because I quite like a bit of Blackadder superb script and performances from everybody so I just thought I'd mention that and Blackadder was a TV well numerous TV shows back in the 90s and I loved it back then and I'm just reminisce while I was driving down the motorway this week so Blackadder audiobook for me Fair enough. Good stuff. I think we can call that a show. Yeah, I think so. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you want to get into contact, Rod is at G5Maniac at Marston.scott. I am at underscore CJP at Marston.social. And you can email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. <laughs>